Isn't that awesome? We've got a hand for that. So exciting. I know many of you last year were able to give towards those projects and build those wells in Nicaragua. And I just want you to know, man, I was there myself. I went there trip. I saw the wells. I saw the kids. I saw the community drinking from clean water. It's amazing how generosity can be such a blessing to the people you give to, but also to yourself, those who actually do the giving. And so, hey, we're starting a brand new series today called Generosity, Taking Hold of Life That Is Truly Life. We're going to get to that phrase here in a little bit. It's actually a Bible verse in First Timothy chapter 6, verse 19. And uh, this, this word generosity, let's, let's start by, de- by defining what the actual word means. What does it mean to be generous? It simply means this, to be liberal in giving and sharing. To be liberal in giving, giving and sharing. To be unselfish. Now, by a show of hands today, how many of you would love to be a little bit more generous in your life? Raise your hand. You'd love that. You'd, uh, yeah, almost every hand is up in the room. How many believe that it's probably, there's probably a moral aspect to that, too? It's probably something we should do as well. Raise your hand. Right? We should probably. It's something that we want to do, and it's something that we should do. I agree with you 100%. And so that's why we're doing this series, because... We, we, we're coming into a season of the year where generosity should flow a little bit more naturally. We're coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas where we're, the natural inclination is to think about others a little bit more, maybe to have a little bit more gratitude in our hearts. Am I right? Yes or no? Yes, right? And so we're already thinking about what we're going to cook and what we're going to give. And there's just this, this, this Thanksgiving that raises up inside of us. So this is a great time of the year to do a little bit of talking or a little bit of a series on generosity. You know, I believe with all of our hearts, as I, as I just mentioned, that generosity is something we feel like we should do. We should live a little bit more open-handed. If I have a visual for you today, it's, that's what generosity looks like. It looks like that we, that we keep our hands open, that when resources come into our hands, we don't close our hands, but we keep them open so that resources can come in and then resources can come out. And I think all of us want that and all of us think we should do more of that. The only problem is we struggle to be generous on a consistent basis. I don't think that we struggle to be generous from time to time. And we've, we saw that a couple months ago when I came to you and I said, hey, I went to Haiti and I saw these 29 kids that didn't have a home. They were orphans and we need to build them an orphanage. And what did you all do? You all jumped in and in two weeks we raised over $100,000. Isn't that awesome? We built them an orphanage. <clears throat> They have a place to live. In fact, that orphanage that, that you all built for them, that actually saved those children when the, when the storm came in. And so it's just incredible how that worked out. But I'm not talking about once in a while generosity. I'm talking about the type of generosity that's consistent week in and week out. It's awkward to live that way. And I, reason, and I think the reason that it's awkward, it's sort of like writing your name with your opposite hand. Have you ever tried to do that? <laughs> It's like, I can write my name really good with my right hand, with my left hand. It's like, oh, you might be able to make out the D and the A, but it's a little bit awkward. And, and, and because it's awkward to be consistently generous, I want to kind of do some coaching in this series to kind of help you uh, become a little bit more generous and to allow it to, to flow a little bit more naturally. Here's what the studies show, and I've, there's several different studies that have, have been done across America. Here's what the studies show, show that the average Christian gives 3% of their income to charity. 
That's, that's, that's not the church, but that's the charity in general. So it's even a smaller percentage to, to the local church. Now, I don't know about you, but do you think 3% of, the, of your income is generous? Yes or no? Some of you are like, yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> no, that's a newsflash. That's not very generous, okay? 3% is not generous. And, and, of course, there's a lot of people that just give nothing, and there's more that give more than that, but that's just the average. What's, what studies now show is that born-again Christians, 12% of born-again Christians bring the tithe back to the local church. What is the tithe? The tithe is what? 10%. You can say it a little, with a little bit more boldness. <laughs> tithe, the tithe is how much? 10%. So, so that's kind of the baseline for where we should start with our giving. We're falling woefully short. Even our church here was falling woefully short of bringing back the tithe. So we struggle to be consistently generous. And so I want to do some coaching in this series. And, and uh, I think the awkwardness, let's start this way. I think some of the awkwardness when it comes to generosity starts with our inclination to think only of ourselves. It starts with our inclination to think only of ourselves. This, this, is kind of, um, this is kind of how we're born into the world. It comes with the package. I don't know if you've noticed this. You know, we're born from the womb. We come into this world thinking of me, myself, and I. Now, if you're in denial about this, it's because you have not become a parent. <laughs> okay? If you are a parent like myself and my wife, we're raising three children, and we try to model good behavior for them inside of the home. We try to think of others. We try to serve each other. We try to love one another. Right? But yet, when there's one bowl of Cheerios left, there's a fight over who's going to get it with our three children. Why? Where did they learn that from? Did they learn that from my wife? I don't think so. If you've ever met my wife, she's the most generous most gentle person, I think, in the world, right? She always gives away her stuff. She gives it to me most of the time because I'm the one who struggles with the selfishness in our home mostly. So maybe my kids learned it from me, but I don't think so. I think it's in their hearts. They come into the world this way. We, we're bent towards sin. The Bible calls it the sinful nature, and the sinful nature that we inherited from our first ancestors can be summed up in one word, selfishness, selfishness. That's how we came into this world. We think consistently. Our inclination is to think only of ourselves. And because of that, it's difficult, it's awkward to be generous because generosity requires that I think beyond myself. Generosity requires that I think of other people who are in need. And that's not my natural tendency. It's not your natural tendency. And so it becomes awkward when we try to be consistently generous. And our culture has played upon our inclination to think only of ourselves. I mean, in our capitalistic society, you turn the television on, you see advertisements. What are they advertising? They're advertising their products to who? To you. And they're appealing to your desires to make your life better so that they can make money. How often have you seen a commercial that is designed to get you to buy something for somebody else? <laughs> Anybody seen one of those? <laughs> Maybe around Valentine's Day, right? They want, they want you to buy some, a ring for your wife or your girlfriend or whatever like that, right? But oftentimes, most of the time, the advertising companies are advertising and they're appealing to your inclination to think of yourself to because they want to make money, Right? That's the name of the game. And so our culture has kind of leveraged this desire inside of us. And because of that, because of that, most families spend over 100% of their budget in America. Did you know that? We spend past, we spend over 100%. And that means that we're going into debt. The average credit card debt in America today is anywhere from four dollars to $15,000. Now, the reason that range is so wide is because it's hard to really get a, get a, get a, a solid number. But what I do know uh, is that it's in the thousands, and that explains, that explains our overconsumption, right? We're, we're buying more and more stuff for ourselves. We live in a self-absorbed society. Listen to what Dave Ramsey said. He, uh, Dave Ramsey, the guy with the TV sh- uh, the radio show, Financial Peace. Anybody taking Financial Peace? Heard of Dave Ramsey? Good stuff. This is what Dave said. Americans these days are up to their eyeballs in debt 
We make more money than anyone else, we have no, and we have nothing to show for it except for a lot of stress and a bunch of junk to impress somebody else. Texans call that big hat and no cattle. I love that, that statement. And, and it, we're just kind of in a mess, you know, because we, we're, we're constantly looking through the lens of me, myself, and I, and we're buying more stuff, and we're, we're overspending our budgets, and it's just, it's just very difficult to be generous when all of that is taking place. So what I want to do as your pastor is kind of coach you through some ideas from the Bible on how to become more generous, how to live in such a way that generosity is natural for you and natural for I. You ready to dive in? You ready? You excited? Anybody excited about this? Okay, let's look at number one. When we're generous, we're living from our true identity. We're living from our true identity when we are generous. Anybody ever see the, the show uh, from Cesar Milan, uh, The Dog Whisperer? Gosh, I love that show. You can get it on Netflix. It's, it's like magic. I mean, if you want to see a magic show, this dude knows how to get dogs to do all kinds of things. I, like 20 dogs. I can't even get one dog to obey. He gets all, you know what I'm saying? And so he, he talks to these dogs. And, and one of the lines that he has in, in, the, in the show, he uses all the time. He says he's trying to get people to walk their dog. He says, listen, fish made to swim. You know, he sounds like Mr. Miyagi. Remember Mr. Miyagi? Fish made to swim. Birds made to fly. Dogs made to walk. You know, and I love that because dogs need to take a walk. You know, and what, is, what he's saying is it's their identity. It's what dogs are supposed to do. They need to walk every single day. I would add to that, I would say fish made to swim, birds made to fly, dogs made to walk, Christians made to give. <laughs> because it's who we are. It is our, our identity. It is who you are as a person. Listen to what Psalm uh, chapter 37 verse 21 says. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are, say it with me nice and loud, generous givers. A little bit better, a little, little bit more passion. We are generous givers. That's who we are. Fish made to swim, birds made to fly, dogs made to walk, Christians made to give. That is who you are as a Christ follower. I love the, the chapter, chapter 4 of the book of Ephesians. If you love to read the Bible, check it out. It's a passage about how all Christ followers are supposed to put off the old nature, you know, of selfishness and anger and all these different things and kind of put on the new nature of Christ and the character of Christ. And so Paul's talking about a couple of different ideas. He, he mentions lying. We got to put off lying and start telling the truth. Then he mentions anger. We got to put anger off. And then he mentions stealing. Evidently, it was a problem inside the church there that people were just stealing stuff. And so listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, let the thief, the one who's stealing, steal no more. Stop your stealing, but rather let him get a job. There's an idea. <laughs> go get a job. Some people today need to go get a job. You know what I'm saying? In our, in our nation today, they've they got a lot of time on their hands. Anyway, do it, doing honest work with their own hands. Interesting. Now, if I were writing this sentence... The next thing I would probably say is so that you can have enough money to pay your rent, to buy some clothes and have some food and maybe have a car or whatever, right? That's the way I would finish this sentence. So you, so you don't have to steal anymore, right? So go get a job. It's a great idea. <laughs> but Paul says something different. Watch this. He says, go get a job so that you may have something to, say it with me, share. Isn't that interesting? Go get it. Stop your stealing. Quit thieving, okay? Instead, go get a job so that you can have money to share. Not unbelievable. Why does he say this? Because it's part of your new nature as a Christ follower. When resources come in your hand, not just to close up and say, it's all about me and what am I, well, the next thing I'm going to buy. Listen, would you be honest enough to think about what's on your mind most of the time is the next thing you're going to buy? For me, it's shoes. It's like, oh, I got those new, new pair of shoes just came out. I can't wait. I can't wait. And it's on my mind, right? 
Why is it on my mind? Why is it that, that, that what we're thinking about is the next thing we're going to buy for ourselves? Ladies, it might be a new purse. You know, don't go there. Don't go there. You know, it's just, he, Paul says this. Here's, here's your new nature. Your new, na- new nature is to be one who shares. Not just receives the money from your job or your paycheck and then spends it on yourself. No, but you're supposed to leave some margin. Yes, go ahead and take care of your rent. Go ahead and take care of your clothes. Take care of your food. Take care of your transportation. Yes, God's not saying don't take care of yourself, right? God blesses us to take care of ourselves. But leave some margin so that you can do what? You can say with me, share with anyone who is in need. It's part of your new nature. It's your new identity to be someone who shares. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 112, verse 4. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are, say with me, generous. Come on, a little bit more. Get a little bit more excited with me. They are what? They are generous. They're compassionate. They're righteous. Look at verse 9. He continues. He says this. They share freely and they are, say with me, they're generously give to those in need. That's who we are. Now listen to this. Watch this. I don't know about you, but I want to live a great life. I want to live a great life. I want my days to count. I don't want to just go through this life, take up space, suck air, and die, right? I don't want to do that. I want my days to be meaningful. I want to make a difference with my life, and I hope you feel the same way. You're sitting at this church, so you must have some sort of feeling like that in your heart. Listen to what the psalmist says in the next phrase. After you give generously and freely and you live open-handedly, watch what happens. Then, watch what happens. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. They will have influence and honor. Boom. Do you, want your, do you want to leave a legacy with your life? Do you want your life to matter? Do you want to touch people? Do you want to influence people? Do you want to shape the future? The psalmist says you have to give. You have to share. You have to live generously. You have to live open-handed. Don't live close-handed. How many funerals have you gone to? Listen, I'm starting to preach. Anybody feeling this? How many, how many, listen, how many funerals have you been to where someone stands up there and eulogizes the dead, the deceased, and they say, man, you should have seen the collection of persons she had. It was unbelievable. You should have seen his shoes. He had so many shoes. He had shoe game. His shoe game was on. They don't say that at a funeral. They don't say, you can't believe how slammed his 401k was. It was unbelievable. How many zeros were on the end? They don't say that in a funeral. Why don't they say that? Come on. Why don't they talk about people's cars and their shoes and their stuff and their money? Because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what they say. And I've been to a lot of funerals. What they say is they touch so many people's lives. Their their life was filled with love. They always gave. He was so generous. She always gave time. She always gave away her her money or whatever or blessed so many people. That's what they say because that is what matters. Here's what the psalmist says. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. I don't know about you, but I want to leave a legacy with my life. Therefore, I have to live a generous life. I can't live a closed-handed life. Listen, when you're generous, you live from your true identity. I'm just giving some coaching to you. Just giving some coaching, okay? Number two, when you're generous, you reflect the heart of God. This may be the most important thing I say today, maybe. When you're generous, you reflect the heart of God. Listen, when, when people usually use the phrase, you're just like your father, they mean it in a negative way, don't they? They're trying to point out maybe laziness, <laughs> Or, or, or anger, you're just like your father, you know? I want to use that phrase in a positive sense, okay? When you're generous, here's the deal. You are just like your heavenly father. Listen to what the Bible says about God the Father. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he, say it with me, gave. 
He gave his most prized possession, his one and only son, that whoever believes in Christ should not perish but have everlasting life. Listen, is there anything God could have given humanity that was more precious, more expensive than Jesus Christ? Anything? Answer? Heck no. He gave his very, very best. In other words, God the Father is the most generous being in the universe. He didn't give us his spare change. He didn't tip us. He didn't give us a little extra. He gave his very best for you and I. Now, some people think that Jesus was murdered. Some people think that Jesus was put on the cross against his will. Let me, let me correct that thinking here. Listen to what Ephesians chapter 5 says. For follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in love. Basically, live a life that does what is best for others. Just as Christ did. Watch what he did. He did what was best for us. Just as Christ loved us, and say it with me, gave himself up. He wasn't murdered. He wasn't taken against his will. He wasn't dragged to the cross. He laid his life down for you. He gave it away because he was the most generous being in the universe. And Paul says, follow God's example of love. Love is doing what is best for somebody else. Be the type of person who does what is best for someone else consistently. Give your very, very best just like Christ did for you. In a few moments, we're going to celebrate communion. And you know, when we take that juice and we take that bread, you know what we're really celebrating? We are celebrating the generosity of God, the generosity of his grace, the generosity of his mercy. Is anybody else excited about that? In a few moments, we're going to celebrate that. <clears throat> when we're generous... We reflect the heart of God. You're never more like Christ than when you're giving. You're never more like the Father or the Spirit than when you're giving of your resources, when you're living open-handed as opposed to closed-handed. Let me give you this third piece of coaching here. When you're generous, you step into real life. You step into real life. Listen, there is a gospel out there, folks. You have to pay attention to the gospel in our culture today. The gospel of our culture says this, that if you just have more money and you have more stuff, then you'll be happy. Then you'll have value. Then you'll be somebody of importance. So go get more money and go buy more stuff, and then you'll be valuable. And it's not true. It's not true. It's a lie. That is not real life. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10. He said, if you cling to your life, if you hold on to your life, if you live a self-absorbed life, if life is all about you, you will lose it. But if you give your life up for me, you will, say it with me, find it. See, I want to find true life. I don't know about you. I'm on the search for true riches. Not riches that are temporary, but riches that are eternal. Anybody else? I want to find it. Jesus says, the gospel of the world today is not true. If you have more money and you have more stuff, that's not, that does not lead to real life. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Listen to what Paul said to Timothy, his young protege, his young disciple, his young apprentice. He's writing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and this is the subtitle. We'll get to, our, to the subtitle of our, of our series here. He says, command those who are rich in this present world. Now, oftentimes we get confused when we think about rich people. We think, you know, it's, it's, if you ask different people who's rich, you'll get a lot of different answers. If you ask somebody who makes $50,000 a year uh, who's rich, they'll say somebody who makes 70. You ask somebody who makes 70 who's rich, they'll say a someone who makes 100. You ask somebody who makes 100 who's rich, they'll say 150. Somebody who makes 150. And on and on and on. It's never you, it's always the next guy, right? Guess what? If you make $37,000 a year, $37,000 a year in annual income, you are in the top 4% of earners in the world. Swallow that one. Gulp. If you make $37,000 a year, you're in the top 4% of earners in the world. Most likely, according to our present world, you are rich. Paul, maybe this applies to us. I think it does. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant 
and not to put our hope in wealth, which is so completely uncertain. Two temptations of a rich person, to become arrogant and to put their hope in wealth. Why is it to become arrogant? Because when you have money, our culture says you're, you're somebody. You have value. When you have, when you have some extra, all of a sudden, our culture says you, people start paying attention to you. People start to look at you differently. People start to treat you differently. That's our culture. Don't let that happen to you. Paul says to Timothy, don't let that happen to the rich people because it's not true. Your value does not come from your wealth or the things that you have. So command them not to be arrogant and also not to put their hope in wealth because here's the deal. There are situations and there are scenarios that money cannot get you out of. Let me just name one of them, cancer. There are situations and there are scenarios that money will not be able to get you out of. Money comes and money goes. So teach them who are rich not to put their hope in wealth, which is so completely uncertain. And then he tells them what to do. Now, on the contrary, he says this. Watch this. Instead, teach them to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It's not wrong to have things. It's not wrong to have extra. God is not down on you having some fun stuff. No, 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 no. It all comes from God. He's just saying, teach them not to hope in it, not to trust in it, not to get their value from it, not to become arrogant about it. Listen to what he says here. Command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Focus their life. Watch what he says. He continues. And to be, say with me, generous. There's our series. You say, why are we doing this series? Because it's in the Bible. It's everywhere. The godly are generous. Command them to be focused on being rich in good, need, good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the age to come. We're going to talk about this verse in week number three, but not right now. We're going to fast forward to the last statement. Watch this. So that they may take hold of life that is truly life. Let me sit down for a second. Pause. There is a life out there that is so much better than a life of consumption, of, of, of grabbing cash and grabbing the things that cash can buy that is available to you. But you have to have eyes to see it. It requires faith to look through the lies of the commercials and what everyone else around you values. You have to have eye, eyes to see. It's kind of like the Matrix. You ever see the first Matrix? When he, takes the, when he takes the pill, he could now see what was really going on. You have to take the pill to be able to see. There's another life out there that is truly life. Not the life that this world promises, a life of consumption, a life of materialism. But a life of joy and peace and satisfaction and fulfillment that comes in a different way. It comes by giving. It comes by sharing. It comes by living open-handed versus closed-handed. Jesus said it this way one time in Acts chapter 20. It is more blessed... You will be more happy. You will have more favor. You will live a better life if you give than focus on receiving. Wow. That's what we're talking about in this series. Finding this other joy, this other satisfaction. I don't know if you, saw, if you noticed in the video we showed a few minutes ago about Sherry. Did you see the, the smile on her face when she talked about being someone's answer to prayer? Did you see the joy in her eyes when she talked about going to see the well and all the children that could drink? It takes eyes to see it. It takes faith to see it. It's not tangible. You can't touch it. It's not like a car or shoes or something else. But it's there. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, I know some of you struggle with that, faith, seeing it. 
having eyes to see something that's not physically tangible in your eyes, uh, in front of you. And I want you to know there's a whole body of research, and I, I, I encourage you to check it out. Is that it actually came out of the University of Notre Dame. They did this secular study on generosity. And it was, the, it was basically, it was called the, the Generosity Project. That's a cool name. And out of that study, there was a book written called The Paradox of Generosity. And the two authors, uh, I, I just grabbed a quote from the book. Um, I wrote it in my journal because it was so powerful and it fits this. This is, this is based on scientific research, not what the Bible says, okay? Because I know some of you are oriented towards, you know, okay, but what's the data say? I'm that way sometimes too. Listen to, listen to the findings uh, of this, this project called the Generosity Project. Americans who do not give away 10% of their income run the significant risk of ending up less happy than they, not, than they might have been otherwise. In fact, as a group, they are less happy. So whatever Americans lose by giving away 10% of their income is offset by the greater likelihood of them living a happier life. Rather than leaving generous people on the short end of an unequal bargain, practices of generosity are actually likely instead to provide generous givers with essential goods in life such as happiness, health, and purpose, which money and time simply cannot buy. And then they close with this statement. That is an empirical fact well worth noting. An empirical fact, something that can be studied and experimented. What I'm talking about here is faith. And some of you are okay with that. You're like, oh, man, you got me. I'm good. <laughs> I was the three percenter, and I'm going to shift now because I believe in Jesus and all that stuff. Some of you, some of you needed to hear that it's, there's empirical evidence that proves that when you live a generous life, you receive more happiness, more joy, and more purpose in your life. If I, if I could sum this series up, and I'm going to try to say this every single week, but I want to say it today. It's, it's probably the most powerful statement. It sums up what I'm trying to say. The more you give, the more you live. That's, that's the bottom line. That's just, a, that's just a law in this universe. It's like gravity. You can count on it every single time. The more you give, the more you live. It's a paraphrase of what Jesus said. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, as we do every week in this church, we bring you to a decision. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that? You're going to turn me off, turn me off, walk out of here? So that was interesting. Church wants my money. I implore you not to do that. Because this isn't about your money. This is about what God wants for your heart. This is about the quality of life that God wants you to experience. Jesus called it abundant life. It comes when we live open-handed. It comes when we live generous lives. Now, as a preacher, I imagine kind of how this moment goes before it actually happens, and I dream about it, and I kind of create scenarios in my head. And so at this point in the sermon, here's what I've imagined was happening in your heart. You're sitting there going, oh my gosh, he's so right. The Bible says it. The empirical evidence proves it. If he, if he doesn't give me an opportunity to, to be generous, I'm just going to explode. <laughs> now, so now that you're feeling that way, See, I have to do that or else I'll get really discouraged. I have to create scenarios. Anyway, so I hope that you're feeling that way. I really do. Like, okay, man, where do, what do I do? Glad you asked. Let me give you three outlets. Three outlets where you could express your generosity. The first one is the church or the general gift. 
If you get on our app, our church app, which I encourage you to get on, you can click on the giving part and it takes you down. You scroll down, you can click on the gift. You'll see this pop up right here, general gift. What that simply means is you can set up a, a one-time or a reoccurring gift to the local church. You say, well, that's not very sexy. I, I know. Let me sexify it for you. Let me, let me, do, let me do that. <laughs> let me do that. Let me, tell you what, let me tell you why the general, that's, this sounds boring, doesn't it? General gift, blah. Let me, let, me, let me help you out. Let me help you out. When you give to the general fund, guess what you do? You allow this environment and the environment at Banta and the environment at Franklin to happen every single week. I'm talking about staff and lighting. And, hey, I'm talking about coffee. You know how much coffee costs? It's free to you. It's not free to the church. $48,000 a year, okay? That's a lot of free coffee. And it, like I said, it ain't free. You know how much the Bibles cost? We give away Bibles every single week for people who put their faith in Christ. You know how much they cost per year? They're free to you. They're not free to the church. $8,000 a year. We give away free counseling. If you want counseling at this church, you can get in for free. You know how much money counseling costs in the secular world? We do it for free. But it ain't free because we got people on staff here who do it. We pay their salaries. We are so generous to you, but it all costs cash. When you give to the general fund, you're making all of those things take place. Jenny Byers, just a few minutes ago, she talked about the 650 kids that we're going to feed over Christmas break. 13,000 meals in a box that looks like this that, that, that she asked you to pack, Right? This Sunday, she asked you to come back at 4 o'clock to pack. Our small group's going to come in, and we're going to help pack these. There's all kinds of food in here. Look, I mean, there's Chef Boyardee macaroni, and, and there's more macaroni, and there's granola bars, and, and there's what every kid loves here, Spam. <laughs> Didn't you, don't you love it? And, and we're, I mean, this thing is full. This is, there's high C, there's applesauce. I can't even get it out. I mean, it's just packed. You know, that's all, that's all money. That's all, that all comes out of the general gift. So when you give to the general fund, you are blessing thousands of people. Is that exciting or what? Very exciting. Now, I know you're, some of you are like, okay, but I want to be even more generous. What else can I do? Glad you're there. Watch this. With a Franklin multi-site campus. We're trying to build a campus just like this, just a little bit smaller, right over there in Franklin so they don't have to meet inside of a school. And so we're trying to raise $2 million. You can set up a reoccurring gift for that. Over the next year, we're trying to raise $2 million. That's very, very exciting. We've got blueprints going on, lots of fun stuff happening. And then this third option here is end-of-the-year projects or year-end giving, and this will show up on the app as well. And what we're going to do, if you want to give a year-end gift, we're going we're to split it down the middle. Seven, we're going to give Christmas presents to 700 little kids in Nicaragua who would not otherwise receive one present this Christmas. Is that not exciting? And the other half, the other half, we're going to give towards uh, to our another church, another organization that we partner with, at, called Exodo Church in, in Colombia, and we're going to give uh, half of the money to their community centers there. They they teach adults how to read and write. They feed the children as well, and they also disciple everyone who's gotten saved in the last year. And so you can jump on there and you can give towards end of the year projects as well. Now, again, some of you are looking at that saying, "See, I knew I knew this was all about the church." <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. It's about your heart. It's what God wants for you. He wants you to experience life that is truly life. He wants you to reflect his heart. He wants you to live from your true identity. And here's what I can tell you. I remember sitting in a seat when I was probably 19, 20 years old. I was at Jerry Falwell's church in Liberty University. Great church. Jerry's now passed on. He's in heaven. His son took over for the church. They just got crushed by IU last night by 40. I was just informed. It's okay. They're growing. Anyway, I used to sit in Jerry's church, and I used to hear him talk about tithes and 
stuff. And I was like 19. I was a, I was a Papa John's pizza delivery boy, okay? So what did I have in my pocket? A bunch of what? Ones. I had a bunch of ones. And whose ones were those ones? Mine, right? Like Jesus didn't deliver those pizzas. I did. You know what I'm saying? And here Jerry is saying, take out your ones and give me 10% of those ones. And you know what I used to think? You were smoking crack, dude. Like, there's not, a ch- there's not a chance that I'm thinking of all the people that didn't tip me. And there's not a chance that I'm giving you the tips that I got. And I just remember having that attitude, having that sense of looking around at the church going, Jerry, this church is a multi-million dollar facility. You don't need my pizza delivery tips. And I wouldn't do it, you know. The pro- Jerry wasn't asking, and God wasn't asking for my tips. You know what he was asking for? He was asking for my heart. He's wanting to transform my heart. He's wanting me to put in the character of Christ. And my hands were tight. And I wasn't generous. But then as I started to grow and I started to understand the church isn't after money, the church is after my heart. Jesus is after my heart. I started to open up. And for, I don't know, 18 years or so, I've been a tither. Bring, we bring the tithe in. My income has changed over all the years uh, in my life. But we always do the 10%. We bring the tithe. And then, and then what we do is we talk about offerings. Offerings are something different. Offerings would be something we would do for the Wells or, or, the, or the Exodo Church or the 700 kids in, in Nicaragua. Those are offerings. That's not part of my tithe. And so we talk about that with our children. Why? Because we want them to, to know about what it, what it looks like to reflect the heart of God. What's the heart of God? It's to live open-handed. Listen, church, I will never ask you to do something that Jackie and I aren't willing to do ourselves. We're trying to model the way for you. And the reality is right now, and this hurts my heart, 24% of the church makes up 99% of our budget. 24% of the church, 24% of you, so like, let's just take a quarter right here makes up 99% of our budget, and everybody else is in for free. And, and it, it just, it's just something we need some coaching on. And I believe, I believe if we look into the Bible and we ask God to change our hearts, we're going to live open-handedly, and we are going to be able to bless this community and the world in incredible ways. And at the end of the day, guess what? Guess who benefits the most? You. You step into life that is truly life. That's my hope and prayer for you. Now, as I mentioned a moment ago, we're going to celebrate communion. And what a great opportunity to do that because it's the most generous gift that God ever gave us, his very own life. And so in a moment, the, the band's going to come out and they're going to lead us in a song. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to encourage you, if you have faith in Christ, if you're a believer, if you put your confidence and trust in Jesus for eternal life, come forward. There's tables here. There's tables on the sides. Up in the balcony, there's tables. You can come forward, grab a little, little juice and a piece of bread, take it back to your seat. And when, during the song, when you feel led to participate, you eat and you drink. And what you're doing, here's what I'd love for you to do. When you eat and drink, just thank God. Thank God for the generosity of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. And then when all that's wrapped up, I'll come back up and, and pray for us and dismiss us. Actually, let me pray. Jesus, we love you. As we get ready to step into this moment, this sacred moment, we reflect on your sacrifice on the cross. Uh, Father, fill our hearts with gratitude. May, may, may the worship that we express back to you bring a smile to your face. May you be honored in this moment. May you be proud of your people for, for expressing to you your true worth. Jesus, we thank you for the generosity of laying your life down. Nobody took it from you. You chose to give it willingly so that we could experience eternal life. May you receive honor and glory in these moments. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Would you remain standing with me in this next moment? There are some of you here today, I know, I know you walked in here today, you had some doubts and some questions. Maybe you're agnostic, maybe you're an atheist, maybe you're a person of a different religion, but you heard something today that drew you in. And in fact, I'll take it a step further than what you heard. You actually felt someone drawing you in. You don't really know why, and it's maybe it goes against your beliefs or whatever, but I can tell you who that is. That's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and those of us in the room know that, and aren't, isn't that, guys, isn't that who it is? And the Holy Spirit, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening in your life. The Holy Spirit's drawing you in, and I know you don't have all the answers, and I know you have questions and all that stuff, but what you're feeling and what you're sensing is the Spirit of God drawing you to himself. He's drawing you to this, this most generous gift of Jesus Christ. We just celebrated that. We just sang that. Today, you walked in here without a relationship with Christ. Today is the day perhaps you put your faith in Christ and you walk out of here in, uni in union with Christ, reconciled to God. You say, how do I do that? It's very simple. One time Jesus said, all it takes is the faith of a child. You reach out to Christ in faith, very simply, and you say to him, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you paid the penalty for me. And three days later, I believe you rose again so that I could have eternal life, so that I could have all the sin and all the shame washed away. And you step into that moment, you reach out to him. And the Bible says, not on my authority, the, the authority of the Bible, that you will become a child of God. And so right now, in this moment, this moment is designed for you. If you'd like to accept Christ and put your faith in him, I invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. Reach out in this very sacred, very holy moment designed for you and say these words. Take my words, make them your own. Dear Jesus, I trust you today. I don't have all my questions answered, but I do believe you died on the cross for me to pay the penalty for my sin, to remove all the shame, all the guilt, all the sin. Thank you. Wash my life, make me clean. Put my soul back together, make me whole. And from this day forward, help me to live a generous life, to follow your example of love, to be a blessing to this hurting world. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, if you just prayed that simple prayer, we want to rejoice with you, first of all. Don't we, church? You heard me mention these Bibles that are free to you today if you put your faith in Christ, but they're not cheap. <laughs> they're free to you, but they're not cheap. Here's the deal. If you prayed to receive Christ today, there's tables back here to my left. If in the balcony, you can come down. If you prayed to receive Christ, they'll put one of these Bibles in your hand. Here's why. Here's why. We're willing to be generous to you. Here's why. We believe that if you read the Word of God every single day, today we're in the book of James. Anybody else? One of your Bible reader? Today is the book of James chapter 4. I read these passages every day so we can be synced up right here. Me and you, right? Maybe that's cool. Maybe that's not. Not sure. But you read the Word of God every day. What happens is He begins to shape your heart. He begins to mold your soul. He begins to heal you, reveal His will to you, show you what's not right inside, and shows you how to get right inside. I promise you, if you read every day, you'll become like Christ. And so, one more time, let's give God a hand for what He's done today. What a privilege. What a, what a privilege it is to be your pastor. Listen, really, in my heart of hearts, I want to see God transform our city. I do. I want to see him transform our, 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 really, really our whole state. And, but we're not there yet. We've got we to start in Greenwood and get downtown eventually. But, but I want to see him just transform our whole state and see people attain the life that is truly life that is available to, the, available to them in Christ. You with me? That exciting? Let's pray. Jesus, we want to thank you. Thank you so much for your generosity. You went first. You gave your life. Father, you gave 
your most prized possession, your very own son. Thank you. Help us to follow your example of generosity, to walk in love, to to live open-handed lives, to be a blessing to this world that is in such desperate need of love. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week. Bring a friend.